Galatians chapter 5, I'll read the first verse and then we'll skip down a little bit. And the word, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Everyone say, stand fast. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It's denoting that at one point, some juncture, you were bound up. But by the grace of God, he made you free. And the instruction is, don't go back to where you came from. Verse 7. Here it is. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I like how that's written. Here's my final verse for you today. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Paul's admonition to the church. Indeed to us. Who did hinder you? Stand fast. Don't be entangled again. Who did hinder you? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. It is an anointed word. authored by your own voice, written by holy men of God as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Let it echo in this body among the people who hear it. Let it be received with all readiness of mind. And I pray today that you would anoint me to preach the word and teach the word and anoint the people to receive it. And let love prevail in this house regardless of where all of us have come from any one of us our origins don't matter but it's because your tender mercies that are renewed every day every morning you have saved us and helped us and i pray today father that you would keep this house in perfect peace and I pray today that our minds will be focused on you. All the scatterings of things that trouble our spirits, I pray today. Help us to focus our attention, captivating every thought of our mind on you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people speak his name today with me in Jesus' holy name. In Jesus' holy name. <laughs> yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. God bless you. I thank you for standing. Thank you. I think I do most of my teaching on Wednesday night. There are other moments throughout the week. But I might need to do a little Bible study here today. So we're going to do a little Bible study. And if I break off into preaching, well then, that might be nice too. I'm looking at the 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah. I didn't read it to you. But I'm looking at that chapter. Isaiah, the book, has been one of the most well-preserved books in the findings 
of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1968. The beauty of it not only maintains the description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but its authenticity profoundly points to the legitimacy of the entire King James Version. God's word is true. I've seen, in, of course, in, encased in a very thick glass, pressurized memorial in Jerusalem, the scroll, the book of Isaiah, and its translation is, is identical to the King James that we read today. In prophetic terms, Isaiah 59 relays the word of God in regard to the reconciliation of the people of God, the children of Israel. God is looking for an intercessor, but upon his search, he does not find anyone who can fill the void. Thus, the Lord himself decides to put on his own armor. He puts on, I'll read it to you, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance. He wrapped or clad himself with zeal, like a, like a coat. God did it himself. And then we are told that from the West, men will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. It's a description of God's redemption on behalf of his own people. Isaiah 59. He is and shall become the redeemer, which is in reference to a kinsman redeemer. It's now focusing on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me here? We're doing Bible study. This is the point, ladies and gentlemen. God will redeem he will intercede, he will forgive, and he will restore. Even though the people have been judged, it was not to last forever. He did not allow the enemy to completely wipe them out. They knew what they had done. I'll quote a little. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Read it in your Bible. But when they repented, the Lord was quick to come to the rescue. And Isaiah wrote, here it is, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now given the context, what I just relayed to you, verse 19, should not be offensive. It shouldn't be divisive. Because the jest or the nature of the scripture is clearly known. The first half of the verse could be akin to the promise of the Lord himself. They shall fear the Lord or the name of the Lord from the West. From the West could denote the enemy or the Gentiles or the unbeliever. Everyone is going to fear the name of the Lord. The first part is reflective of Philippians 2 and 10. Every knee shall bow. And then Isaiah writes, his glory shall rise, which is the overarching depiction of of God in the moment. Peter will speak of it. His glory shall rise, 1 Peter 4, but rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Glory is rising. People are going to fear the name of the Lord. There's the nature, the jest of the chapter. Are we doing okay so far? Everybody understand this? Isaiah, just nod real loud to me. <laughs> you thought you were coming to Sunday morning preaching. I'm giving you a Bible study. I'll just recap our, our little study here for a moment. People have sinned. God sent judgment. But upon their repentance, deliverance is coming. And when it comes, the very enemy that God used to bring about his judgment, God's going to destroy that enemy. But then comes the second half of that verse, 19. Here's the trouble. Here's where trouble has, has erupted. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, 
The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now just remember, God is rescuing his people. They have confessed their many issues, but God's arm is not short. He can hear the people. He wants to save them. He was willing to save them. He was waiting to save them. Here's verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, it cannot, that it cannot save, neither his ears heavy, that he cannot hear. He has all the ability to hear, to save, to deliver. I've got it. That's the chapter. Here's the chapter. Let's just help. We got to do this again. People are bad. God is good. God sends trouble. People repent. God comes to the rescue. This is almost the entirety of, of, of the Old Testament. And it's our lives too. It's okay. I, I know who you are. <laughs> But now we get to the second half of verse 19. And, and through the years, a hindrance has developed over the placement of the comma. When Paul asked the question, who did hinder you? I, I know that was not an isolated reference. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them and to us as well. Who is hindering you? What are you involved in that hinders you? Why do you hear these sermons but have not yet made up your mind? What is causing you to pause in the process? Watch now. Isaiah 59, 19. Let's do it again. If you have your Bibles, this is a wonderful moment. In fact, bringing your Bible to church is actually a novel idea. It's, it's great. You can underline things. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the West. His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, comma, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now for the longest part of my life, we read it like it was written. When the enemy comes like a flood, comma, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. But a few years back, there was an argument among people, preachers, teachers, saints, Christians, believers, as to where the comma belonged. Some wanted it to read like this. When the Spirit comes in, comma. Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. So now we have two schools of thought. The after comma and the before comma. And you might think this should not be an issue, but it has become a major issue insomuch that the question has been asked, which side of the comma are you on? There have been arguments face-to-face -face arguments about this. People shaking their head in disgust, walking away against their opponents. Grown men are irritated, even angry because of the understanding or opinion of their brother. One man commented on the opposing side. He said, well, that man doesn't know anything. When the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Lord will raise up. That sounds good to me. God's going to raise up a standard. Or the other group says, when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, God will bring protection. I like that too. I like them both. How are we doing? This is really good. I've done my research on the placement of the comma. And I have not to date found any compelling evidence to keep it or change it before or after I've dug into this a little because I really want to know but I've come to this conclusion here's my conclusion it doesn't make any difference <laughs> so now we've got three positions first we got the people who want to leave it the way it is the second group wants to move it, move it forward. And then there are those of us who have actually read the entire chapter. The point of Isaiah's chapter is that the Lord is coming to the rescue. Now, I'm not sure if the enemy is coming in like a flood or the Lord is coming in like a flood. All I know is he's coming in to rescue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know those harnesses, you know, you got the belt buckle, that's the regular car, then you got the really fast cars, and they got two straps, you know, put the two straps on. 
If it offends you, that I put the emphasis before or after, just know this. I don't mean to offend you. I'm just glad that he's coming. In terms, it goes like this. Here's our terms. I've not been very good, and God sends me trouble. So I cleaned up my act, and I called on God. And all I know is that he's coming to take away the thing that he allowed to get me back to him. The Spirit of the Lord is going to rise up and become a protection on my behalf. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I've come back to him, and I've cried out, Abba, Father. And he said, okay, now I'm ready to intervene in the problem that I sent. I, I got I to gotta make this crease in your brain real deep, so I got to do it again. Because there are hundreds of people not attending church. This is why we have to do it again. Hundreds of people are not attending church anywhere. They're not serving in the kingdom anywhere. They're not giving in their tithes or their offerings. They are not praying. There is no praise, no worship, no sacrifice, because they got stuck on a comma. Let's rehearse. People are bad. You know who they are. God is good. We know he is. But through trouble, people figured it out. God's coming to raise up a wall of fence that the enemy cannot traverse. Because that's how good he is. I do not know and I don't have time to argue where the comma belongs. All I know is that the Lord is on his way to deliver you. All you've got to do is call on the name of the Lord. And he's a strong tower and a righteous God. Oh yes he is. It's almost a little disheartening to think about these divisions among believers. But not only do these things exist, but in many cases they have divided entire church bodies. And then the mission is, is, is paused or it's stopped. People are arguing over commas. Friendships are being severed, broken. Feelings hurt. The cause of Jesus Christ is laying dormant. And I believe that that is a trick. If that's not a trick of the enemy, I don't know what is. Because once you get stuck on the placement of the comma, there is no more time to reach the lost or teach a home Bible study or win a soul or serve in the church. It's no longer about telling people that the blood of Jesus makes new or that the Lord is coming back soon. It's no longer about baptisms or the infilling of the Holy Spirit or abstaining from sin. Now it's about the nuances of punctuation. The devil wins every time when we get our eyes off the prize and we're out of focus. The enemy is rejoicing every time we get stuck on foolish conversations and theories and pointless matters. And I read to you from Paul's writings to Titus. Paul said, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. He told the church in Galatia in Galatians 5.15, but if ye bite and devour one another, watch this, you're going to consume one another. Oh, we're going to preach against the devil and the world. I'll tell you, the worst church trouble is within the church. Just consuming and biting everybody and just complaining about everything. And well, guess where they think the comma should belong? He's addressing real life issues that happen among real people in every era and today. Be careful. Because you're going to tell me that there are no punctuation debates going on in your life. But I'm not really asking you about the comma. I'm asking you, who did hinder you? Did your past hinder you? Are you still wallowing in the damage of your past? How about your family? Is your family hindering you? Always fighting against the holy things of God and being committed. Do you have a friend, some confidant that spoke something into your spirit and you just can't really get it out? You're struggling with it. Who did hinder you? That thing that was spoken to you, it grew like an infection. It stunted your growth. Was it a decision made that you did not agree with and now you're struggling being committed who did hinder you because whatever hinders you from being saved or being involved or serving or worshiping or giving or doing it amounts to nothing more than the placement of punctuation <laughs> we're just doing a bible study today there are a host of people who believe in genesis chapter one but argue over how many years god took to create the earth i have an opinion but something troubles my mind irreconcilable divisions have arisen in churches far and wide over the first chapter of the book concerning the age of the earth of course the problem is that most of those people that are arguing have not read the book further 
had they read the book, they would have figured out that the issue is not how the world began, but how it's going to end. He's coming like a thief in the night. But you cannot be ready or help someone else get ready because you got stuck at the beginning. I don't personally believe in the gap theory. But given the small attention God gave to the beginning, I've decided to read on. And guess what I found? I found that God spent two chapters telling us about creation and no less than 50 chapters describing the tabernacle. Tell me which one you think he wants us to know more about. (laughs) Paul said, a little leaven, meaning it doesn't take much foolishness to destroy the whole thing. Just walk down that road of infinite loops, questions without answers, endless debates, arguments that cannot neither can neither be settled or resolved. That's how emergent churches begin, where they question out everything and they rip out pages of the Bible that are not congruent with the common culture. A little leaven, just a little diluting of the scripture and it will sour the whole thing. It'll take away the whole thing. Just, just point out... Just take it home with you. Point out someone's inconsistencies in the church. And then bring that conversation back to your home and put it on your coffee table or in your kitchen or in your living room. Talk about people. A little leaven. You'll get stuck in the pause and most people never recover. It will be nothing more than a comma, but in time it will spoil your worship and your walk with God. You'll watch, but you will not work. You'll listen, but you will not hear. You'll come to denounce the very thing you once loved and brought you out. And I feel led by the Holy Spirit of promise. The pause must be addressed. The comma is putting you in a vice that's choking out your God-given call. And I preach today, stand fast and don't lose ground. (laughs) Yes. I preach today, reach the lost, seek God, pray, give, teach, be a good steward of your time, be a doer, not a hearer only. If you are only going to strive, if you're going to strive for anything, don't make it about money. Strive for the kingdom. The whole world is headed toward hell while the church is debating what is really necessary to get into heaven. I'll give you the short answer. It's all necessary. Now get on with the mission and stand fast. Come on, buckle up, stand fast. You got something to do for the kingdom of God. I don't care how old or young you are, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what stage of life you can do something for the kingdom of God. If you can't get out of your house very much, you get on the telephone. If you don't have a telephone, send a letter. You got a letter, buy a a carrier pigeon. We're going to do something. We're going to send somebody a note, a word from God. We're going to encourage somebody. If you can get up, then get up. If you can pray, then pray. If you can dance, then dance. If you can clap, then clap. If you can teach, then teach. If you can sing, sing. That's what the Bible says. Whatever you can do. Yes. Consider the ministry of Jesus. And you have to... You have to look at this very carefully because he's reaching for the entirety of the world. Not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles also. Now the Jews thought they had an exclusive right to the Messiah. But little did they know that he came to die for the whole world, past and present. He came for everyone. He loved you when you were a sinner. He loves the lost. He came for the sick, he said. They that have... They that are whole have no need of physician. Of course, the irony of that was that they were all sick. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He came for, are you ready? (laughs) Oh, man. He came for every language and every ethnicity. That's why he died. I, too, would like to have a secure southern border. But until we get one, the job of the church is to baptize every person who walks across the line. We're called to preach the gospel. So when we are asked about the two million immigrants that have come into this country, uninhibited, you you should be thinking... 
There's two million souls that need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. But some of you are not thinking that because you got stuck on the comma. And you're spending your anger and your energy on things that don't matter. What you ought to be thinking of, they need to be saved and find the Lord. They've got to be born again of the water and the spirit like Jesus said. No. I feel like I'm just jumping out in some deep waters here. And it's probably going to be offensive to people, but I, 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 I'm telling you that the Lord spoke this to me, so I'm just relating. If you have a problem, I, I have his number. <laughs> be careful not to pause too long on the thousands of Afghans who are coming into this country The church should be praying for a Holy Ghost revival and a conversion of every soul. Somebody needs to tell them that if they think Muhammad was something, wait till you meet Jesus. Muhammad's dead, but Jesus is alive and he's the healer. And I feel this, that some of the church people all across America, they're getting angry, but they're losing the focus of what God's trying to do. The church ought to wake up and recognize, you may never make it there, but they are coming here. And there can be a Holy Ghost revival, a worldwide revival here, finally. These are souls that need to be saved. Let's do our Bible study. John, John chapter 4. Calm down. Go to John chapter 4. I, this is one of my favorite lines. It, it, may, it may actually be a, um, a descriptive narrative bridge. Um, but I receive it as an intentional declaration of the heart of Jesus. Because he's walking with his disciples. And so you, you can call it this narrative bridge from one verse to another. In, 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 a, in, a, in a kind of a, a storyline. But I, I refer to it and believe it's more of a... It's revealing the intentional heart of the Lord. Here's verse 4. This is what I'm talking about. And he must needs go through Samaria. I love that. <laughs> This is how I receive that. He, he purposely. I got to. I'm purposely going to walk through there. Because you know. There's a problem with the Jews and the. Samaritans. Because the Jews are the, the pure breed. And the Samaritans are part Jew. And part Gentile. And they don't fit with the Gentiles. They don't like them. Gentiles are dirty. They eat Shrimp. Catfish. Yeah. But they don't fit with the Jews either, you know. They're kind of the lower class people. (laughs) And Jesus sends his disciples into the city to buy food. This is very interesting because when they bring the food back, he said, "I, I, I don't need that. I got meat you know not of. He didn't send them to get food for him. He sent them to give them something to do. Because even his own disciples are clueless. They're going to wake up later, but he's going to have to die first. (laughs) Even the Bible says they didn't even understand all these things until he had died and risen again. Then, oh, hey, light bulbs. I hope I don't have to die for you guys to have a clue. But I know a lot of fathers and mothers that died and their children didn't know what they were talking about until after they were gone. And the kids come crying back and said, now I realize what mom and dad were saying. Wake up, stand fast. 
he must needs go through Samaria. And he, and he goes there for pur- a purpose. And he sits down at a well called Jacob's Well. It's in Samaria, Jacob's Well. I often say this and I love repeating it. I, I want to repeat it every time. The well is sitting at a well. Speaking to a Samaritan, half-breed Gentile Jew woman. He asked her for some water and she's amazed that being a man and a Jew, he would even speak to her. How is it that thou being a Jew is asking me, which am a woman of Samaria? She says this as if he doesn't know. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Don't you know protocol? And Jesus said, yes, uh, but if you knew who was asking for your temporary and temporal water, you've been asking him for the eternal water. If you knew. Jesus starts to uncloak, reveal her life. And the woman says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. This is very good perception. Because even the Jews didn't perceive that. And then this is what she says. Because now she's in rebuttal. She's stuck. They were all kind of pausing, both the Jews and the Samaritans. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. (laughs) And Jesus saith in her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. The argument was over the location of where they should make a sacrifice and worship. This mountain or Mount Zion, here or there. She's repeating the pause. It's the juncture at which everything weighed down. It's the placement of the comma, and Jesus denounces the whole matter. It's not about the mountain, this mountain or that mountain. The point is, the hour has come. Watch this. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And then he says this, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And they're arguing, what is the better place? I really don't know how to have church there because that's not where I do it. You know, at home, this is where we cook our meals. We, we, don't, really, we don't really sing and worship and pray. We, I always go to the church house to do that. And we're stuck. We're still stuck on this little comma, this little pause. And, and we're getting weighed down as to where the place is. I'll tell you where the place is. Wherever you are. The Father is looking for people who will worship him wherever you are. So if you think you got to come to this house to have a move of God, you don't understand the spirit. You ought to get in your car and say, Lord, be with me while I'm driving. You ought to get in your home and say, Lord, be with me when I'm at my home. Wherever you go, in or out, there or here, in that mountain or that mountain. Because the Father is looking for somebody that would worship. I'm not done with that. Watch this. If you think you're putting on your church clothes to go to the church house and that's where you reserve your religious walk, then you've missed the whole point. You're not a Christian at church if you're not a Christian at home. What? I'm going to tell you, if you're living carnal and you're living sinful on Tuesday, but you play the game on Sunday, you're kind of like those weekend warriors. Come on, I've met some of those guys. I'm glad they're enlisted, but I've talked to a few of them, and I said, hey, I'm just curious, why did you enlist? And they said, because, you know, we can get some free things. And I said, well, you know, you can be deployed. And they said, well, we hope we're never deployed. What? I want to deploy you right now. Take that hope away. That's why you signed up. You signed up. When you got in this way, you signed up. You're not a weekend warrior. Don't come to church on Sunday and be a Christian, but live like the world and the devil on Monday. Wait, what, what's going on? You're not convincing anybody. Not the world, not the devil, not the Lord. You're not convincing anyone. You got to be right on Monday. You got to be Holy Ghost on Tuesday. You got to have a move of God. It's not that mountain or that mountain. It's everywhere. I'm asking you today, who hindered you? What is the hindrance? 
This is not a new issue. This has been a tool of the devil for a long time. And I would be, I, 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 I would be remiss in my duties here not to call it out. We have got to be right in the sight of God. <laughs> Some folks are arguing over the most inconsequential, trivial things. And it's stunting your ability. And your focus. You're holding on, grasping. Holding on. To old offenses. Because that's the only thing that you've got left is, is an infraction against you. And it's hurting your walk with God. You're not free. You're angry. You can't walk up and hug somebody. You are selective in your love. Praise God that the Lord is not selective in his love. Doesn't matter how bad you've been, how dirty, rotten, all the horrible things you've ever gone through and thought about him or other people. He loved you despite yourself. He loved you. In fact, even when you didn't even know him, he was dying for you. He was thinking about you before you were ever born. He had your name written down. He said, I'm dying for that, that person, that lady right there, that man. I'm dying for them. I'm going to give my life a ransom for many. How are we doing? Okay, let's just review. People are bad. People bad. God good. Thorn. Repent. I don't care where the comma is. Just come and help me, Lord. I've got to have you. People make mistakes. People hurt people. Wounded people hurt other people because that's the only way they know how to function. But God's good all the time. Even when you don't think he's good, he's still good. Even when you can't even declare his goodness, he's still good. He's working in front of you and behind you in places you've never seen before. Even when you cannot find him, I know that he has ordered my path. I look for you on the front, the back, the right, left. I couldn't find, but I know that the Lord liveth. God's so good to you that sometimes he sends you a little trouble your way just so you could call on his name because you haven't been calling on his name heretofore. And then when you're in trouble and you're struggling, he's so good. He said, now's my time to shine. I'm coming in, comma or no comma. He's the rescuer. He's the redeemer. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's the lover of your soul. He's the great mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's my banner. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's my peace. And I, I've, I, I don't know. This is, this is uh, maybe too many years because I'm rehearsing the comments. You know, well, I don't know about if the church is really friendly. Okay. Then start a smiling ministry. Then you start smiling at everybody. Make them think something's wrong with you. Act like you won the lottery. Don't play the lottery. Just act like you won the lottery. Just smile. That's good. If you think that it's not friendly, change it. It's not a top-down approach. You change it. When nobody sends me a card, well, then buy stock in Hallmark and start a card ministry. Don't do that. Those things are $8. That's a joke. Get some notebook paper and send somebody a, a letter on a notebook paper and say, I love you. I'm thinking about you today. <clears throat> if you don't think there's enough prayer, you don't need to be appointed to a prayer ministry. Just start praying. If you don't think there's enough worship, let's just leave that. Because we'll get going. I have more to say. The last thing you ought to be doing is complaining and arguing and becoming disconnected. People are disconnected from the body because of things that don't matter. They'll never matter. That day is gone. While you're arguing over the comma, while you're debating over where we ought to worship and how all that stuff, God's wrapping up the world. Time is collapsing on this dispensation. This is the tool of the devil. And I will just tell you, God uses people and so does the enemy. 
Both kingdoms need, need willing people to build their kingdoms. Who did hinder you? You ought to have a resolve. You ought to be standing so fast that it doesn't matter if someone says something ugly about you. Or growls at you. Because they got a growling, hateful ministry. <laughs> you know, I don't like you. That's their call. <laughs> you should be so grounded and rooted in the faith and in the church and in serving that it doesn't matter what the response is because you're not, you're serving him. <laughs> and as long as you're serving him and you're standing fast, then you cannot be dissuaded. You'll be unshakable, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the ministry. But the problem is, of course, there's always that comma, that something, that thing. I would just tell you, I, I love all the smart folks. God didn't call us to be ignorant. But please don't try to outsmart the operation of the body of Christ or even the time of his return. See, I grew up in an era where there were flat-out arguments about your position on the time of the tribulation. They would call it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. That the Lord's coming back before the tribulation or in the middle of tribulation or after the tribulation. These are big arguments that were taking place. Theological arguments. Smart men. Smart ladies. Now, I personally think he's coming back before. But my mother and I have talked many times and she thinks it's somewhere in the middle or, or even post. But I, just not, I did not disown my mama because we are not in agreement. <laughs> what? Because we decided a long time ago we're going to focus on reaching the lost before he comes. We want our families to be saved before he comes. We want our neighbors to be saved before we comes. And we cannot afford to get buried in the grave of the pause. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after in the wisdom of for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews required a sign, the Greeks liked wisdom, the Jews liked signs and wonders, the Greeks the Greeks liked forums and debates. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. Well, that's a stumbling block because they can't stand that because it indicts them. And unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. Well, whoever thought that a man would die for the sins of the world? But unto them which are called, you, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. This is our power. Our power cannot be explained to people who are secular and carnal. And you got to be very careful before you kowtow to people who want to dismiss healings and miracles. And you got to be careful in the church when someone walks in and they lay hands on somebody and you say, well, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, just be quiet for a moment because while you're discussing whether or not you like their presentation, they're getting their deliverance and their healing. How are we doing? How's the Bible study today? Yep. Jarius has a daughter. She's very sick. Jesus said to Jarius, I'll, I'll go to your house. But by the time they arrived, the daughter has passed away. She is dead. Now in those days when someone dies, there were people who had jobs. This was a career profession. They were mourners. They would cry. They were professional weepers crying. This was both an indication that someone had died and also supposedly to comfort the family. or It's a declaration something had happened. Today we might put a black ribbon or something, um, some indication of memorial honoring. So the house was filled with mourners, people who understood death. This was their profession, their job. And Jesus comes in and he says to everybody, the girl is not dead, she's just sleeping. I'm going to take care of this. And the Bible says that the mourners laughed him to scorn. Because they knew that girl is dead. Her body is cold. 
There's no heartbeat. And Jesus, here's what he did. Because they were unbelieving. Watch this now. They were unbelieving. Here is the incarnate God stepping into a home. God manifest in flesh. The Bible says this. He in whom all fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. He who, who John says, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness. Jesus. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He steps in. Here he is. He steps in. Emmanuel, God is with us. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace steps in. And they're laughing at him. And something has to happen in that room. He could have done anything he wanted to despite their attitude and their negative spirits, but he didn't. The Bible says when he put them all out, he called for Peter, James, and John. Let mom and dad come in, Peter, James, and John. All of you faithless doubters, you're out of here. Because I'm not doing my work in front of you. I'm going to do it in front of people who have faith and believe that I am the healer. Watch. So be careful. Before you lay your words, your mouth, on something that you don't understand or you doubt, be careful. Because this place is going to be a place of healing. I'm not, listen, hold, hold on. I'm not trying to get a rise out of you. I'm just instructing you right now. God wants to do his miracle, but the whole house has got to be a house of faith. Don't pause at the comment and say, well, I'm not really sure if that's how it should be done. You don't know how it should be done. In fact, if you are complaining about a presentation, you'd have had a bad problem, a big problem, when Jesus spit on the ground and made mud and put it into the man's eyes and there'd be a host of Christians today occupying churches saying well I just don't go for mud I don't like the way that he did that really you know nothing about the Lord he's going to take the foolish things and he's going to confound the wise because his power is greater you cannot figure it out he is the great God he can use anything at any time Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he will. I believe God can heal anybody right here, right now. He can use you to heal and touch and deliver. He needs somebody that's in unity. Hey. <laughs> yes. Yes. Healing is not a specialization. Deliverance is not given to them who are professional. No. No. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. He delivered me. He restored me. He knew I was in a mess. And I cried on the Lord. And he healed me. And came to my rescue. And he picked me up off a of miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He put me somewhere where I didn't belong. By grace I have entry. By mercy I am here. Who hindered you? It's like sitting in a bunker. In a war, a battle. Bullets are flying above your head. Mortars are landing within range. Dirt is kicking up from the impact. The soldiers, however, are arguing about who gets the mayonnaise. Their army issued food, peanut butter, or lunch meat. Why do you get the spam and I have to settle for the salami? The nonsense of that. Foolishness. And we want to put filters on everything. People are putting filters on their pictures to make them look like something they are not. We're living in a world of make-believe. But the Lord and the Spirit is calling for the church to get real. We got we to gotta stand fast in the liberty that God gave us. And don't get entangled again with the, with the elements of this world. Do we not see it? A world shutdown should awaken the church into action. But the enemy wants to get you sidetracked on things that look important but are really inconsequential to the season that we're in. 
it may very well be the real quicksand for the church. It's not the elements in the world that's the quicksand. It's the nuances of what we do. So while you're debating punctuation, the mission is going unanswered. I just want to say to all the men, rise up, men. Be strong in the Lord, men. Be worship leaders, men. Be godly men. Don't be weak men. Don't be weak. <laughs> I'll leave it there, but I, there's so much more. I want to say so much more. Just interpret what I'm telling you. Be good men. Be righteous men. Be holy men. Be set apart men. Have integrity. Be honest men. Be cautious and careful, men. Be encouraging. And ladies, be a lady. I always told Tammy if they stopped, if they, if, 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 if they didn't, they always had a women's conference. They had a lot of women come. If they had a ladies' conference, they'd have half the people. I'm sorry, that's, that's terrible of me. Apologize. <laughs> Keep it as a women's conference. You'll, you'll, fill, the, you'll fill the place. If you're a drama queen, for the sake of the kingdom, please lay down your tiara. The lost need your stability. (laughs) And the church needs your faithfulness to the mission. And everybody, the kingdom needs your unending commitment, your continuity. People, including me, need your consecration to the cause of Jesus Christ. I want you to pray in times of need. I really do. But please don't wait for a problem to develop to to start a consistent prayer and fasting life. If If you desire to worship, I'm so glad. But please don't wait to shout when the answer is yes. Please don't wait to clap when you're feeling good. That's not how we do it here. We're going to worship. We're going to clap. We're going to praise. Whatever season we're in, we're not going to let go of our faith, our praise, our worship, our giving, our sacrifice, or our serving. Don't let anything hinder you. What is hindering you? If If the people in front of you are hindering you, move up a couple rows. If you can't take it where you're sitting, go to the other hemisphere. (laughs) Whatever it is, don't let yourself be hindered to the cause of Jesus Christ. There's too much work to be done, and we've got to stand fast in the call of God and not be entangled. Oh. I'm almost there. I hope you say amen. But please don't reserve yourself for your favorite sermon or your favorite lesson or your favorite preacher. If it's the word, you say amen. If it's right, you say, I'm with that. If it's in the book, you say, so be it. If it cuts you a little bit, you say, thank God he loves me enough to cut a little something out of me because the word of God is quick and sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword. It does a surgery on my life. Nothing's going to hinder me. You ought to say it to yourself. I'm not hindered today. Nothing's going to hinder me. You ought to say, nothing's going to hinder me. There are a lot of people who have cause to be hindered, but they decided, no, I'm not going to be hindered. And they might even have to look at a brother or a sister in the church and say, I love you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but I am not going to be hindered by you. And I'm not going to get involved in a conversation with a comma and let my worship and my praise fall to naught. Oh, no. No. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow, but I know I'm going to be ready. I know it's not in that mountain or in that mountain, but I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth.
Stay with me now just for a moment. I drink a lot of caffeine before I preach. Just scores of caffeine. Just, just, just. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, in fact, I think I'm going to up that. I'm going to get some really French coffee. It's just going to be thick like syrup. I don't even know really how to open the altar for anyone, but all I know is that you've got to lay some stuff down and you've got to put all the things you thought were so important, you've got to put them down on the altar and you've got to turn around to your calling. You've got to pick up your calling and the spirit of serving and love. And you've got to love your friends that don't love God and you've got to care about those who don't care about the kingdom, but you can't get sidetracked with that. At some point, you're going to stand up. You're going to have to get a backbone and say, listen, this, I'm all about the church. I'm all about salvation. I'm all about this Bible. I'm not going to let you deter me from being saved. Some of you need to tell your grown children, I love you, honey. I'm never leaving this truth. You're not going to hinder me. I care about you. Some of you need to tell your, your children and your grandchildren, I'm holding down the place and keeping the Father's house in order so that when the world starts to really crumble away and you come to your senses and you recognize it was better here, there'll be something good to come back home to. You want to tell yourself before you talk yourself out of joy because this is what we often do we think or talk ourselves out of joy because we've got a hurt or a pain before you open up your mouth and you're at your own car or you're getting dressed or whatever and you start to rehearse the junk and the things before you get to that point you pause and say let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And then open up the Bible and find it. And find it. Thy word was found and I did eat them. And thy word became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. They're sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. The statutes of the Lord are pure. They're righteous altogether. And tell, and tell yourself, because you can hinder yourself, because you're not in control of what you're saying and what you're thinking. So I submit to you today don't be hindered. You're not going to be hindered. Now, there's an old song that I don't really want to sing I don't know who wrote it but, but it, it gained a lot of traction in the 1980s and I think we should leave it right there we sang it a thousand times you know about the 7th 8th course around people start getting with it it said just play what you're playing for the sec don't, don't follow us this is not a cue for you to change I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. Now this, this is an angry statement. It was really directed to people who were, you know, duds. I don't care what you came to do. I don't know what you came to do. I don't even know why you're here. I'm going to sing and shout. And, the, and, and what it really was saying was, I'm doing it because... You're not really good. And the devil don't like it, but I don't care. That's what the, another verse was. The devil don't like it, but I don't care. Okay. But if, if, I, could, if I could draft, squeeze a little drop of, of worth out of that chorus that we're not going to sing. Oh, we might. Let's just... Why don't we work on that for the choir? 
it, it, if I could squeeze a little goodness out of that course, it would be this. I'm not letting anyone distract me because I didn't come here to please people. Like Peter and John said, should we please God or men? Judge ye. For if we please men, we should not be able or won't be able to please God. I don't know why you've come. I love you. But I know what I've come. I've come to give him praise. I don't know why you're living this life, but I'm living this life because I love the Lord and I want to go to heaven. I don't know why you're giving, but I'm giving because I want to be obedient to the scripture and I want the work of the kingdom to come on. I'm not going to be hindered by anybody. I cannot afford to be hindered by anybody. When you walk into this house, don't be hindered by anybody. You come here to praise God and minister to one another. Amen. Now, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray, let the word that's been sown be like a seed. Let it find good soil and good ground. Let it grow up in Jesus' name. We're going to put some things down on the altar today that we've been carrying around. And we're going to lay them down right now. Because we're going to walk away unhindered. And I'm calling for anybody who's carrying something. You know I've got to lay that down. There's some things in my life I've got I've to put on the altar today. So I'm opening this altar. If you want to come and you want to lay something down, just say, Lord, I love you. I need you i got to lay some things down in my heart and my mind. That's right. That's right. That's right. In Jesus' name, I'm calling on you, Jesus.